0: You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Sometime back, the story came out. Uh, CIA was looking, needed several new agents, uh, brought three over from the FBI, two men, a lady, and um, they took them into a waiting room. And then they would take each one of them by themselves into a room. They needed to know how far are you willing to go to serve your country. So they brought the first man in. They pulled out a nine millimeter uh, Glock and they handed it to him and they said, listen, your wife is in the next room. You take this gun shooter and you get the promotion to the CIA. And the guy looked at him and said, I can't believe you're asking me to do that. I can't do that. I'm just going back to the FBI. They brought the second guy in Did the same thing, pulled out this nine millimeter, gave it to him, said, here, listen, your wife is in the next room. You go in, shoot her, and we'll promote you now. We'll take you from the FBI to the CIA. And he said, man, I love her. I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. So they brought the lady in, pulled the gun out, said, here's a nine millimeter. Your husband's in the room next door. You go in, shoot him. She looked at the agent. She looked back at the gun. She looked at the agent. She said, this is tough. This is hard, but this is for my country. She took the 9mm, she went in the next room, she shut the door, they heard three shots. Then they heard just this awful racket. Somebody was just tearing the room apart in there. And when it stopped, the agent walked in and saw the woman standing there with a chair leg, a splintered chair leg, and she looked at him and she said, there were three blanks in the gun I had to beat him with this chair. <laughs> Marriage is like that, right? Sometimes it gets like that. It's, you just feel like beating somebody with a chair. Marriage is difficult. It's hard. Um, Even the best of marriages struggle at times. Even the best of marriages go through periods uh, where it's dry. Even the best of marriages go through periods of upset and anger and bitterness and fussing and fighting. All of us in marriage go through those times. And tonight, uh, I want to share with you when we're talking about minding your marriage, I want to help you to begin to mend your marriage. Now, Sunday, I shared with you five aspects of the vision that I felt like God had given me uh, for this church. And one of those happened to be that we're committed over the next three, five, seven to 10 years to doing something intentionally, and that is we want to build strong, spiritually healthy marriages, families. And so I want to, uh, we're doing this series for this very reason. It's going to be on the podcast. People will be able to get this. You'll be able to go back and say, I wanted to follow up with that. I want to hear this again. Uh, This is something we need at this time in my life and our marriage. You can pass it along to someone else. Uh, So it's going to be out there for you in our podcast podcast on our website uh, for you to access down the road because we're interested in helping you build a strong, healthy, spiritual marriage. So I want to begin by helping you mend your marriage. All marriages need to be uh, mended at times. There is a word in the New Testament that is used 13 times Two of these times, it is, in Matthew's gospel and in Mark's gospel, it is, um, it is used and it is translated to mend. It is what the disciples were doing to the nets that they fished with. Katar uh, tidzo is the word. Katar uh, means this, to take something and restore it, to take something and mend it, to take something and um, repair it. It's the concept of repairing something. They would take these torn nets, these nets that had been um, pulled apart, these nets that had been ripped, and they would sit down and they would diligently begin to mend them back together to restore them. And And the word, when you look at the word in the Greek, the word has this concept of making whole again. Sometimes the New Testament will use the word perfect. We know that nothing is perfect outside of Jesus Christ, but it speaks of making something perfect as restoring it to a wholeness. All of us need to work. We need to mind our marriages in the way of mending our marriages because through marriage there are times when things just get torn. The relationship gets torn. Conversation tears at the marriage. Um, work, stress, anxiety, children, grandchildren, all of it can rip at a marriage. And you have to be intentional to sit down and say, I'm going to, I'm going to work at restoring this and putting this back together. So that's really what I want to do with you tonight. I want to talk to you about mending your marriage. And I want to take you to a part of a sentence, which is a verse. It's the 21st verse of the fifth chapter of Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 21. And it deals with a word that is a bad word in our day. Even in the church, we don't like it. And it is the word submission where Paul comes in Ephesians chapter five and verse 21. He's, he's talking to husbands and wives, and he says, be subject to one another. Now, most people think that the Bible has only said that to the wife, and that's not true. It says right here, you, in your marriage, be subject to one another. And then out of that, he begins to explain how the wives do that, and then how the men's do that, how the men do that. And the word there is hupotasso. Now, I give you these words because there's, there's a reason for it. I'm not even going uh, to give you the, I'm going to give you the, I'm going to decline the word. For, I'm going I'm I'm to parse the word for you. Hupotasso, hupo is under. Tasso means to place or to stand. So you put the two together and it means this, to place under, to stand under. And what Paul is saying to a couple is this, is that the wife comes and she places herself under her husband. Now, I want you to understand, this is uh, the present middle participle. You say, now, why do you tell us that? Because the middle voice there tells us that that the subject acts on itself. The husband does not make the wife submit. The wife makes herself submit and the man makes himself submit to the wife. So that in the marriage relationship, what you have is this, you have a woman who comes and she makes herself submit to the leadership of her husband. And the husband comes and look at what he's, he's going to say in the rest of this chapter is that the husband is to give himself up for the wife the way Christ gave himself up for the church. So the husband comes and he submits himself to the wife by giving himself up for her. So it's not just one way in a marriage relationship. It is both that come under each other. They submit to each other, though the gender gives you the indication of which way you submit and how you submit. He has much more to say to the husband than he does the wife here. And what he is saying is this, is to the husband, you come and you submit yourself as the servant to the wife. I am to serve my wife. She shouldn't have to ask me to do that. She is to submit to my leadership. Now, if I'm going to serve her then everything that I do, I take her into consideration first. So that's where Paul, now this is where we get out. We don't like doing that. The flesh doesn't like that at all. That's not going to work. It hasn't worked in our marriage. We've been married for, I had a couple that were 70 years of age who came to me one time years ago in church and she looked at me and she says, I've had it. I can't live with him any longer. And I said, wait a minute, you got you to hold on here. She, I said, how, I hate to ask a lady how old she is. She says, I'm 70 years old and I've been living with this. I can't remember how long they'd been married. And she says, I can't do it anymore. Now, in my mind, I thought, well, Lord, have mercy. Just fight it on out to the end. <laughs> you know, just go to the bell rings in the 15th round and be done. But Let me tell you, it's not just 23 or 25-year-olds or 30-year-olds or 35-year-olds. It's those that are 70 years old as well that need to work on this whole thing of mending their marriage. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three phrases tonight that I promise you will help you mend your marriage. That if you use these three phrases, now I want you to think about yourself. I don't want you to think about your mate. I want you to hear them for, you, for, for yourself, for you. And there are three simple little phrases that will begin to mend your marriage tonight. Now, I'm going to give those to you, but I want you to listen to Ray Stedman first. There is this whole thing of tension in marriage. The oldest battle of all time is the battle of the sexes. The longest war ever waged is the war that goes on between husbands and wives. Divorce statistics point out the fact that marriage is the greatest area of conflict among human beings, far surpassing the statistics of war. Even in Christian homes, the degree of squabbling, bickering, coldness, bitterness, and even violence that is encountered by many marriage counselors is simply unbelievable. The atmosphere in many, uh, many a Christian home is no better than that of an armed truce. There is nothing more important than that we obey And hear these simple words of the apostle as he applies this tremendous formula for marital peace, subjection, therefore is not merely to be on the part of one alone, but in the case of Christian husbands and wives, it is to be done by both. The husband is to subject himself to the wife as much as the wife to the husband. The method will differ according to the sex, but the principle is same for both. So you say, that is what we struggle with. We fight and I go back. It's because of this. So what do I do? What are the three phrases? Number one, the first phrase that you need to use in your marriage is this. I was wrong. Now, there's something about the flesh that just doesn't like to give into that. There's something about the flesh that says, I am not going to admit it's my fault. I am not going, This listen, I've done it the last 76 times, and by golly, this time, it's not going to be my fault. I've done it over and over and over, and so, listen, I want to tell you something. I have to admit here, and men, I'm not throwing us under the bus, I think we have a harder time with this. I think for those of us that are men, we struggle with this probably more than the ladies do. To be able to say, for a man to say, it's my fault, I, th- I think, and I'm not trying to be funny, I think we've got too much testosterone to say that. I think it just goes against the male nature. You know, you're headed, you're headed out, listen, think of it this, you're headed out to Huntsville, and you, t- you, you pass a sign that says, Montgomery, 30 miles away, and your wife has said, I've been telling you for the last hour, we're going the wrong way. You're lost. And the man, what does he say? I told you I was going to take the scenic route. (laughs) We can't admit I'm lost. I can't admit I need directions. I don't like to admit it's my fault. But let me tell you something. If you want to begin to mend your marriage, you're going to have to begin right there. I am wrong. Now, before we do that, usually what happens is this is what takes place. We begin to fuss with one another. Things get out of control. We begin to raise our voice. We begin to use words to one another that really begin to cut and hurt. And we know exactly the right thing to say to push his buttons and to push her buttons. And that's where we go until all of a sudden, boom, something happens. And do you know what happens? The quiet game starts. Huh? You ever played the quiet game? Don't you have so much fun playing the quiet game? There's just, Nothing is said. Don't you enjoy that? It's miserable. The quiet, the quiet game is the most miserable game ever played. And you say, well, how do we get out of this? I'm going to show you two things with these first two phrases, and then I'm going to show you seven things with the last one. But now I want to show you two things here. Number one, let me tell you what this does. Let me tell you what this does to you spiritually. It wrecks worship in your life. Here's a couple that get mad at each other, and they are fussing, and they're fighting. And what's the first thing? They'll say, listen, I'm just not going to church today. I'm not going going to church tomorrow morning. I'm not going to church this morning. Um, You know, I'm upset. And you know the reason why we don't go to church is because something happens in the atmosphere of worship and it's called conviction. Isn't it interesting? Matthew chapter 5. Look at that chapter for just a minute. And let me show you something Jesus says there. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about this very thing. He talks about being in worship. Therefore, verse 23 of Matthew 5 if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there, remember that your brother, your sister, your parent, your child, your wife, your husband has something against you. You know what we'll do when we get mad? We'll do this. I'm just leaving. I'm going to the mall. We can go to the mall, man. Well, I tell you what, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to the golf course. We can go to the golf course, man. Well, i tell you what, I'm getting out of here. I'm going back to the office. We go to the office, man. But this is the thing we don't do. We don't like to go to church when we're mad. Why? Because you get in the atmosphere of worship, and in the atmosphere of worship, conviction begins to work on your heart. And Jesus talks about it right here. He says, you're there in worship. You're gonna present your offering. And listen, conviction comes on you that, that you're not right with a brother or a sister or a husband or a wife. He says, this is what you have to do. You have to leave that offering there before the altar. Go, be reconciled to your brother, and come back then and present your offering. He says, let me tell you what will wreck your worship experience, and that is a fractured relationship in your marriage. Peter talks about that. Uh, Peter gives a very clear example of that in First Peter chapter three. And listen, guys, I've had to, my last Bible lasted me two years. I've split the back completely out of it. This is a, this is a new Bible, so it's, it's a little stiff. And turning, verse seven, 1 Peter chapter three, your husbands in the same way live your, with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she's a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life for the purpose of your prayers not being hindered so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now that's an interesting statement that he makes right there and he's talking about our relationship with one another and how when it's fractured that it affects even our prayer life. Well, am I willing to say it's my fault? Let me give you a second thing. And let me show you this back in Ephesians chapter four. So go back to Ephesians chapter four. And let me say, when when you're in an upset in marriage, you need to address it quickly. You need to resolve it quickly. Now I want you to watch what Paul does in Ephesians four, verse 26. He says, be angry. Then he's gonna give you three imperatives. That is three commands. Be angry. You can be angry. You can get mad. God gave you the emotion of anger for a reason. Uh, we're emotional people. We're all going to get angry. Um, we're all going to get mad from time to time. But he says this, first of all, yet don't sin. That is, don't let that anger drive you to something that is sinful. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, when you get angry, you want to say something to hurt somebody. You want to say something to someone that will demean them. You want to say something to someone that would uh, put them in their place or get them straightened out. You want to say something to them that is going to be a lasting impact that they won't forget this, buddy. They won't ever come here and do this again. He says you can be angry. He says what you can't do as a child of God is you can't let that anger drive you to sin. Then he gives you a second imperative here. And the second imperative is this. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Uh, Now, sometimes people translate that and say, don't go to bed angry. The whole concept here is resolve it quickly. I'm going to tell you, now this comes out of 40 years of being married. And it comes out of a lot of years of counseling people in marriage. And this is what I would say we do. We fight to win. We get in a fight, I'm going to win this thing. Now, let let me just tell you let me quote the Duke of Wellington, who defeated Napoleon at Waterloo, who said, if there's anything worse than losing a war, it's winning one. When you win that battle in marriage, you've lost. You've lost don't fight to win, work to resolve. Resolve. Work to resolve that thing. Um, Instead of trying to take shots at one another, set the personalities aside, take the problem and say, here's the issue, let's work to resolve this don't go to bed angry don't let the sun go down because he 's saying, don't let this thing fester. The longer it festers, the worse it is now i 'm just going to tell you something this isn't good just good for a husband and a wife. This is good for people inside the church you don't need to let things just fester and and we just just let sleeping dogs listen, let me tell you something. go and work to resolve the issue. That's what Paul is saying right there. The third thing is this. Don't give the devil... By the way, the name for the devil here is diabolos. What does that sound like? Diabolical. That's exactly where our word diabolical comes from. Diabolos. It is wicked. It is sinister. It is evil. And it works diabolically to do something. It, it could just literally say that. Do not give into the diabolical an opportunity. Now, the word opportunity there is tasso, which is place. I gave you that a few minutes ago. Tasso is to place under. Tasso is simply to place. And what it means is this. Do not give Satan, the devil, an opportunity or a place to put his foot in your marriage. That's what, you, you, you get into an argument, you get into a heated discussion, you don't resolve this thing, you let it go on. He says what you're doing is you're giving place in your marriage to the foot of Satan between the two of you. Do you understand Satan is constantly trying to divide I mean, one of the greatest tools Satan has is a wedge. And what he wants to do is he wants to to wedge in between a wife and a husband here. He wants to drive in between the two of them, wedge in and separate. Does the same thing with a child and a parent or a parent and a child or a brother in the church and a brother in the church. He wants to come in. He wants to drive a wedge in between the two. And Paul is constantly warning Every epistle that Paul writes, he constantly goes, he drives back to this thing of unity, 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 oneness in Christ. Why? Because Satan is forever trying to drive a wedge into into a congregation, into a relationship, into a marriage. So he comes and he says, listen, be smart enough. Understand this. Don't do this. You resolve this thing. You work quickly to resolve those issues. And the best way I can tell you to resolve those issues is that you step forward and you say, I, I am wrong. Now, here's the second phrase. And it really follows closely with that. The second phrase is, please forgive me. Now, you say, when I, isn't, that, isn't that kind of the same thing? In, when, when I say, okay, I'm I'm wrong. Isn't that the same thing? No, because listen, this is what you can do. You, you can come in and say, okay, all right, all right. I'm wrong, I'm wrong. All right, I've said it. I've admitted. It. Now, what you gonna do now? <laughs> Boy, that's the spirit of Christ, isn't it? Well, they're really sincere about that, aren't they? No, what you've gotta do is you've gotta say, I am wrong, and immediately follow that up with the words, please forgive me. Because the words, please forgive me, is an expression of humility. It's an expression of repentance, and I'm gonna come to that in a second, but it is an expression of humility. There can be be hubris in, in the expression, I'm wrong. Well, okay, I'm wrong. You say that with arrogance and pride and disdain and bitterness, but it's very hard to say, please forgive me without a spirit of humility. And the two really go hand in hand. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Now, the thing about forgiveness is we don't really understand forgiveness a whole lot. Uh, So I want to talk to you a little bit about that because in this whole thing of forgiveness, there is this concept of repentance. So let me tell you what repentance is not. It is not remorse and it's not regret. We tend to get all these things confused. Regret is, I regret I did this because the repercussion has come back on me and the repercussion is very unpleasant. I don't like it. In other words, I regret what I did because I got caught. Now, let me tell you, there's no repentance in that whatsoever. Then you come to the word remorse and remorse is this feeling, this emotion Uh, that basically is all about me. I'm remorseful because I'm, you know, I'm remorseful because I'm being made to feel bad about this because now people know what I've done because now people are thinking poorly of me because now things are being said about me. So I'm remorseful, but you see, it's still all about me. Repentance has nothing to do with anything like that. When I say, please forgive me, it's about the heart, and it's about action. Now, the word in the New Testament for forgiveness is metanoia. Um, Meta, with, noia, thought, thinking process, the process of thinking, the logical process of thinking through something. It comes from the word noose, which is mind with our thoughts, the change of thoughts, a change in our thinking—that's—that's that's what you are saying when you say, "Please forgive me." That's the concept of it. So that when I come and I say, "You know, please forgive me. I was wrong. Please forgive me." It indicates I've had a change in my thinking. Uh, in other words, you know what? I—I I really do need to go to them and say, "Listen, this is not all you. Uh, there's a lot of this that is me." Uh, you know, I am wrong in this, please forgive me. I've changed my thinking in this. I've, I've changed my thinking process. And when you change your thinking process, let me tell you something, it changes your behavior. It changes the way you act. I'm really sorry that I did that. And in my mind, I really am, I have changed. You know, I should not do that. I should not say that. I should not act that way. And I'm going to do everything I can to change the way I behave. I'm going to change the way I act. Back in the 70s, there was a movie called Love Story. Any of y'all remember that? Excuse me while I gag for a second, okay? Um, Ryan O'Neill and Allie McGraw. And out of it came the song, Love Means You Never Having to Say You're Sorry. Because that was the one line in the, in the movie, love means you never, that is the stupidest thing that was ever, that, that's the dumbest movie and the dumbest line uh, that I've ever heard. Because, listen, at the 40 years of I've known her since I was five years old. I can't tell you how many times I've had to say, I'm sorry. I can't tell you how many times I've had to say, please forgive me. I can't tell you. And let me tell you, I'll be saying that until I'm, you know, on my way out of here please forgive me. I'm sorry. I should not have done that. Those are very healthy words. In fact, let me tell you something. If you take those two phrases I've just given you, get in your car, you turn to the other and say, it was my, and listen, I have no idea what might be going. Nothing may be going on right now, but you hang on. (laughs) And you just look and say, it is my fault. Please forgive me you will go a long way to beginning to mend that marriage and that relationship. Now, let me give you, and you say, well, no, wait a minute, preacher. If I do it and it's just me, listen, that's all you're supposed to worry about is you. Not her. I can't, I can't fix her. All I can do is work on me. I got my hands full working on me. So, I need to be sure that I'm the one who is willing to say, it's my fault. I'm sorry. Now, here's the third phrase, and it's this. I forgive you. And that should be an immediate response. Now, I'm going to give you seven things here about that because we struggle with that. In fact. One of the things that we're going to do, I've done something I've never done in my ministry. I've been in ministry for 40 years. I've been married for 40 years. And, um, but I have never done this before in my ministry. I have mapped out into the summer what I'm going to be preaching. Uh, Kirkwood and Joanna sat down in a room with me and they beat me. They oppressed me. They, (laughs) they tortured me. They, and we hammered and we worked and we got all of this out. One of the things I'm going to be doing, uh, Beginning the Sunday after Easter, I believe, leading up to Easter, I'm going to take you back to Leviticus and I'm going to show you, I'm going to unfold Christ out of all of these sacrifices. And then when I get to Easter, I'm going to preach that Sunday morning on the resurrection. But after that, I'm going to go to the little book of Philemon and I'm going to spend about four weeks talking to you about forgiveness because most lost people will tell you that the greatest struggle they have in life is forgiving people. Most Christians will tell you that one of the biggest struggles they have in life is forgiving people. So let me give you seven things. I hope you've got something you can write some of this down with. Forgiveness, number one, does not absolve the person of what they've done. When you say to somebody, I forgive you, it doesn't mean, okay, you're not going to be held accountable. What you are saying is this, I give up my right for retaliation and revenge. Romans 12, 19, never take your own revenge, beloved. Leave room for the wrath of God. Let God handle those things. Let God take care of those things. So, one of the first things that we say about forgiveness is, well, what about this other person? Aren't they gonna be made to pay for that? Listen, your forgiving them does not absolve them from what they have done that was wrong. Number two, bitterness and unforgiveness hurt us more than the one who has sinned against us. Somebody said, and I think it's a great statement. I'm I'm gonna read you something by Lee Strobel here. Somebody once said that, Holding a grudge against somebody is like you drinking poison thinking the other person's going to die. That's what bitterness is. Bitterness is you drinking that poison thinking it's going to make the other person sick. All it does is it makes you sick. Lee Strobel said, Lee Strobel was a journalist for the Chicago Times, I believe. Chicago Tribune. Chicago Tribune was an atheist and got saved. Uh, he's a great writer. You come across any of his books, you ought to pick them up and read them. Listen to what he said. Acrid bitterness inevitably seeps into the lives of people who harbor grudges and suppress anger. And bitterness is always a poison, it keeps your pain alive instead of letting you deal with it and get beyond it. Bitterness sentences you to relive the hurt over and over. Bitterness, here's a proverb. The bitter heart eats its owner. Number three, unforgiveness hinders our prayers. I've already talked about that, but listen to Psalm 66 18. This is the one that got uh, Bailey Smith in trouble. You remember when Bailey Smith made the comment that God doesn't hear the prayers of the Jews? Y'all remember that? Well, I'm sorry I brought it up. Anyway, it was, it was all over the news, it was all over the newspapers everywhere. He was quoting this passage right here. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I regard sin in my heart, God will not hear my prayers. That was the reference he was making. You need to think about that. When When I am unforgiving of someone else, let me tell you something. It's affecting my spiritual life. Number four, every sin is offensive to God, even our own. It's easy to be self-righteous when someone has sinned against us. I'd never do anything like that, we tell ourselves. But Scripture tells us differently. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. In God's eyes, we're just as lost as the guy who is sitting on death row for murder. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Now, I've never robbed a bank. I've never killed anybody. I've never broken up somebody's marriage. I've never done anything. I've never done that. But do you know what? For those people that have done that, I'm just as guilty before God as they are. Now, that'll that'll do something to you. Number five, unforgiveness hinders God's desire to forgive us. If we who have no righteousness of our own, you know, that's what scripture tells us, if we withhold forgiveness from another person, we're really elevating ourselves above God, who freely extends forgiveness to all who ask for it in sincerity and truth. The Lord's Prayer, Luke 11, says this Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Number six. Mercy and forgiveness extend to us. It also extends to those who sin against us. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Thank God. He does not deal. This is Psalm 103. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. Now there's a good passage the next time you're struggling with your own sin. Psalm 103, verse 10 through verse 14. Listen, when you went to Jesus Christ and you asked him to forgive you of your sins, God says in his word, that as far as the east is from the west, he puts your sins away from him and he remembers them no more. Do you, do you know why he uses that expression? As far as the east is from, because when you start going east, you never go west. If you're moving in an eastwardly direction, you're always moving in an easterly direction. If you're moving in a westerly direction, you're always moving in a westerly direction. I love that passage that says he buries them in the depth of the sea and he remembers them no more. That's what Christ did for you. He forgot your sin. And I want to tell you something. Your sin against a holy God is a lot uglier and far more hateful than anybody's sin against you. Number seven, we can trust God's sovereignty and justice. We can trust God's sovereignty and justice. I go back to Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge. Leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, I will repay, says the Lord. Let God tend to that. Let God take care of those things instead of you trying to take care of them. There are three phrases right there that if you use those three phrases, I'm telling you, you'll begin to mend your marriage. All of us need to mind our marriage, but all of us, too, need to begin to mend our marriage. Now, I'm going to ask you to do this. Let's all just quietly stand up. All of us standing. Now, if you have a mate, if you're married, you know, you say, well, that's great. That's for married folks. What about me? Listen, You know, statistics tell us that 94% of people will be married at some point in time. So you may not be married now, but most likely you're going to be married. If that doesn't apply to you in marriage situation, listen, it certainly applies to you in relationships in life. You, You can just change up what I said about husband and wife and put best friend, put parent, put brother, put sister, put fellow Christian, put work, work associate, school associate. doesn't make any difference. These three phrases are critical in every relationship. Now, this is what I want you to do. Debbie, come in. Give me your hand. I want you to, I want you just, I want you to bow your heads, and I want you to come on up here, babe. I want you just to take the hand of your mate tonight. You just hold your mate's hand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Now, right there where you're standing, I want you to just talk to the Lord about what you need to do, not about what she needs to do, not about what he needs to do. And if you're here tonight and you say, but I, I, I'm not married, this listen, this applies to somebody that you're in relationship with. You pray about your relationship to that person and you ask the Lord, Lord, now, what do I need to do in this relationship? I want to mend this relationship. Lord, help us to be willing to fight the flesh, to say, I'm, I'm wrong. I was wrong. To fight the flesh and to ask the question, Please forgive me. And Lord, help us to fight the flesh when we've been wronged and hurt. To be quick to say, I forgive you. Lord, every one of us stands in the need of forgiveness from you. Even this day. Things that we have done this day that have broken our relationship with you. Father, I come and I say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I sinned. Please forgive me. And Lord, I am thankful that your word tells me that when I say that in sincerity of heart, that you are faithful and just to forgive me of all my unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness that comes from you through Calvary. Thank you, Lord, that you bury my sins. Thank you, Lord, that even though I can't forgive and forget my own sins, at times you have forgiven and you have forgotten them when I ask you to forgive me. Thank you, Father, for being that kind of example. Thank you for being that kind of God. Thank you for being that kind of heavenly Father. Now, Lord, help us to walk out of this place tonight determined, That we're going to mend relationships, whatever they might be, for your glory and for our good. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.